0: Welcome, good afternoon to Caregivers Speak on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. I'd like to welcome you. This is Marjorie Papp Steinmetz, your host. And today we have a wonderful guest, Wendy Aiken, uh, who I'll uh, introduce in just a moment. I want to thank eCareDiary.com for supporting this show through the administration of this show. I want to remind you that that website, as well as my website, mycaregivingcoach.com, on both those websites we have tons of free resources for caregivers uh, that meet a whole host of needs, and um, so I encourage you to look on those websites, and as always, an archive of this show will be available in another day or two, so you can listen back or encourage your friends who perhaps weren't available this afternoon to uh, listen in. Today's topic is a very intriguing, uh, surprising, um, painful topic. Uh, One I've never done before, but it's called Is Divorce Inevitable? Options for Caregiver Divorces. And you know, I think we have a person with us today who certainly is knowledgeable about this, but caring, has great concern for caregivers, and really spends her professional life helping people answer those, this question about, is divorce inevitable? So I want to welcome Wendy Aiken. She's a, a Winter Park family Uh, law attorney with the Aiken Family Law Group. She's practiced family law here in Central Florida for almost four decades and is devoted to lessening conflict and pain for couples and their children experiencing divorce. So this is a whole family issue. and, And Wendy takes care of whole families with warmth and concern. She's a state of Florida certified family law mediator, and the immediate past president for 11 years of the Collaborative Family Law Group of Central Florida. Her vision, what is her vision? Well, it's to change the way people experience divorce with the goal of respectful, out-of-court, collaborative or cooperative divorce that helps individuals find a new path forward without the hurt and bitterness that often accompanies contested litigations. Her office provides a safe and welcoming environment to explore divorce options. We're sitting right here in her office right now, and I can tell you it's different from any law office I've ever been in, with warm colors and flowers and greenery and paintings on the walls. It's a comfortable environment for people looking to explore divorce. Having litigated the first half of her career, Wendy knows the law and she knows the difference between the courtroom experience and the available models for resolving conflict. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you for having me. I'd like to begin with this overriding question that can consume caregivers. Is my marriage over? What can prompt prompt caregivers
1: to ask this question, Wendy. It's a very individual thing, and it moves forward on a continuum. There are situations where people just experience burnout, or as a part of the burnout, there may be lack of support from a spouse. There can be loneliness, stress, isolation. Sometimes there's a jealous spouse who resents the time that you may care for the ill person. There's myriad reasons why people come to the place where they're asking the question, is divorce an option for me or is it inevitable? And no two situations are the same, but there is commonality over what brings people to the table. And often it's a matter of what are my options, what are my alternatives, can I make changes that will bring us back into the marriage or not. And, you know, all of these issues, stress, burnout, lack of support, they all suggest
0: that, and we caregivers, all of you listening today know, that when you have someone ill in the home, that the roles that were there before between between spouses, between people and their parents, changes. Those roles change, and inevitably the pressures push on the caregiver and create that kind of stress and burnout. Would you say that's the case, that the roles, the inevitability of the roles changing in a caregiver
1: situation can lead to this? Without question. I mean, it used to be that the role of provider homemaker, caregiver, provided satisfaction and fulfillment, but it can reach a point where it intrudes in negative and unhealthy ways
0: in a marriage.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So um, you shared with me before we went on
1: air the divorce statistics for people over 50. Share those with us, Wendy. I figure the caregiving population is probably part of the over-50 population generally and largely, so I pulled some of the statistics from the Pew Report, PEW, and anyone can look that up. The divorce rate from 1990 to 2015 in the over-50 population has increased over 100%, Where Five in a thousand people divorced over the age 50 in the United States. The number is now closer to 30 divorces for every thousand people in the population, many of whom are the baby boomer generation. Amazing. Would you say
0: that um, part of this is because
1: people are living longer and um, caregiving longer? Absolutely, and particularly those caregiving in the home, that can put additional stress, and without a doubt, we know how to keep people alive better and longer, and that brings stresses that did not used to occur. Yeah. So what options are available? How do you, when a couple
0: comes in, how do you begin and what's available? How do you, you talk, you talk options. I like to think of you as Wendy the option lady. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the first thing we ask and it's usually one party or the other coming through the door which is a huge step in and of itself even to just come to get advice, to arm yourself with information. That's a big step because it's a recognition that the relationship may be in trouble. But we always ask out of the box. Can this relationship be saved? What can be done to put you back together in a healthy way where you can move forward with wellness and compassion? And toward that end, we explore counseling as an option or other possibilities, a break, a vacation, an encounter weekend. You know, there are lots of different modalities. But if somebody feels like it's gone too far, that that's not going to work, then we look at more possibilities within the legal realm to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I
0: mentioned, and I have to, I just have to share this with our listeners here. In Wendy's offices, um, she's got kitchens and she's got refrigerators and she's got food. And she mentioned to me the first time I met her that sometimes ways to find. Reconciliation and a new way to deal with new roles is it's important that people eat and they enjoy food, and that uh, that can be a way of coming together. and I just find that so simple and yet remarkable to think about that.
1: Particularly in our collaborative cases where a couple agrees that they want to proceed with a collaborative divorce, which is an out of court resolution method to get people front to back in this changing role. You're going from a married person to a single person, and what does that transition look like? And if we proceed collaboratively, we assemble a collaborative team, you each have your own attorney still, but you also have two additional members of the team a mental health professional or facilitator who acts as a neutral to set agendas and move us forward as a team. Mm-hmm. We also employ a financial neutral who is someone who is skilled in running alimony and child support guidelines, pulling together equitable distribution spreadsheets, advising us on taxes so that we have a neutral third party who is gathering all of that information. So that kind of a team, we meet in two-hour blocks with the clients and the team of professionals, and those are the meetings where we always have food. We always have something available because people are in a stressful situation being asked to make decisions and contemplate things they've never thought of before. We don't want you doing that with low blood sugar.
0: Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And you mentioned uh, finances, uh, that that's part of the, the team. Um, approach of one of the issues. It just seems to me that finances might rise to
1: the top of the list of priorities often. Is that the case? Am I Without a doubt, because, uh, you know, it sounds very fundamental, but some people come through the door not realizing the two cannot live as cheaply apart as they I usually can together. And so, the the uncoupling process, we've got now two homes, you know, two different situations that you're trying to outfit and fund, so you have to be very mindful about how you're going about that. And that's true whether you're divorcing collaboratively or you're divorcing through the court system or you're going straight to mediation to not pass go. You have to have the preparation around the finances in order to make informed decisions Because for a lot of caregivers, particularly, the money that they receive in equitable distribution, half of the marital estate, may be the most money that they receive going forward. Particularly if people are already retired, they may not be receiving alimony, so they're looking at subsisting on their Social Security, any retirement or pension, and that half that they receive in the Division of Assets of the Marriage. there are critical decisions being made.
0: Yeah. Do you find that in this collaborative process that caregivers can be surprised by the number of options they may have with finances? You know, somebody may think, oh, there's no way I could even contemplate this for myself and my partner, both of us. We both want to be happy at the end of this process. We both want to go away with a win-win situation. But how can we possibly do that with our finances? Do you find that in some of those cases, caregivers can be
1: surprised
0: by, oh,
1: here are some options I hadn't thought about? That's the goal of the process is to allow people to participate with uh, a team in a safe environment (laughs) uh, where we proceed in the first meeting to define goals. Everybody talks about their goals out loud. We write them on the board and throughout the process, the team makes every effort to meet as many goals of the couple as possible. But we also, in the interest-based negotiation, which is differentiated from positional bargaining, which is, you know, I'll start high and you start low and we meet in the middle, we try to avoid that approach altogether and not be positional and look at what are the interests we'll often have somebody say, well, I have to stay in the house. Well, no, I want to stay in the house. And we'll go to the board and write up the options. And it's not, I want to stay in the house, tell us why. You know, you want to be near other family, you want to be near the school, you want to be near the person you're caring for. Well, are there other ways to accomplish that end? Is there another option? And we look at, you know, are we selling the house? Are we renting the house? Does the other person keep the house? You know, we can just blue sky and brainstorm a lot of possibilities that does not happen in traditional contested, litigated divorce where the court system is very constrained. They don't have a lot of latitude.
0: Right. And I love the idea of just writing things down. Sometimes writing things down can clear the air for all of us in any situation in life, but to get it up there in black and white for people to see and then begin to move around the pieces and see what some of the possible win-wins might be.
1: It's, it's so enlightening. That's Do I dare say enlightening? Nice. Nice. <laughs> That's how enlightening. I feel about it. If, if we could have invented well, divorce, this is how I would certainly have done it, without it being inside a courtroom environment. It's not a win-lose proposition. We try to get to a win-win or at least something that both sides can move forward and live with. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I um, are I bet we have some listeners out there today who are caring for an incapacitated spouse. What about caregivers caring for incapacitated? Obviously
1: some of this changes a bit. What happens then? If a caregiver makes the decision that they want to divorce a spouse who has been declared incompetent or incapacitated, at least in the state of Florida, there is a statute that requires a three-year waiting period before you can divorce a spouse that has been declared incompetent. Now, that may not be universally true in all states, yeah. but it's certainly a major consideration for couples contemplating divorce in Florida if the spouse, the caregiver, has made the decision to divorce, has been declared incompetent under the law.
0: Yeah. So one of the things our listeners would need to do would be to find out in your state um what are the legalities of that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's turn to considerations when a spouse is caring for aging parents, and how does caring for a parent complicate marriage? It, I mean, that might, it seems like a, for those who haven't been caregivers, that might be a question. I think for the rest of us, we kind of know that the role has changed, but tell us about that. and how you work through those issues with people
1: caring for their parents? Well, it's difficult because in divorce some couples end up divorcing that half of the family, that side of the family tree, including that parent, that mother, that father. And some couples can still maintain a semblance of a relationship, others not. But often where, you know, mother-in-law's house was paid for out of marital funds, Now we're looking at a situation where, guess what? You're responsible for mom without any additional money from the marriage. And in divorce, it's your choice to support that person or not or figure it out because the divorce law does not require support of an adult, a parent, someone in that situation. So it can be complicated and it can be something that gives someone pause because. They're not just divorcing the spouse. They may be creating a fairly untenable situation if the aging or ill parent has no source of income other than a meager Social Security check. Um, I would
0: remind everybody um, that I've had a person, a guest on our show, Dr. Barry Jacobs, has been on Caregiver Speak. He's a clinical psychologist and has written blogs about this very issue. He cared for an aging parent for a number of years, and he talks in very specific terms about how caring for an aging parent even stressed his marriage and how he and his wife developed some strategies for exactly what uh, Wendy Aiken is talking about today. So I'd refer you to that. Um, so. Tell us, Wendy, about the considerations for divorce when spouses are caring for a disabled child. This one has to be incredibly tough, especially if there are other
1: children in the family. Exactly. It can be a very difficult thing. Under Florida law, again, if you are unable to ever live independently and, as the law says, become emancipated as a child, then the state of Florida looks at the potential of having a declaration made that that is a dependent child under law. And under Florida law, what that allows for is child support to continue beyond the age of 18, where normally achieve the age of 18, graduate from high school, you're on your own. But if you have a child who is never going to be able to live independently and you petition the court or by agreement decide that to be the case, whether it's through a major illness or there's um, autism or some other condition that's recognized by the court where the child cannot ever live independently, it's possible to continue child support. But you also have a lot of other things to look at because there may be public assistance. There may be federal funds available. And you need to make sure that the support you're paying or the trust that's established does not prevent you from getting re- other resources in place. So there's a whole lot to look at around that. I would say, generally, whoever has been the primary caregiver does seem to end up as the caregiver then full-time at the end of the day. So. Do you build in extra help? Do you build in breaks? What happens as a part of that? And working through a case collaboratively, we can address all of those issues. Traditionally litigated case, you hope to get the declaration of, independent, of dependent child, and you hope that you're gonna get enough support to make it be okay. So your firm really provides this extra cushion
0: of looking at all the options with respect to the law in this case, for disabled children or a disabled spouse, you're able to bring all that to the table to bear and really help people resolve things without, like you say, hoping when you get to court
1: that the judge is going to rule in the right way for you and your family. Absolutely. It's so important to try to bring together as many resources as possible so many bad decisions get made from a lack of information. So if we can act as somewhat of a clearinghouse and bring in the estate planning attorney, bring in the Medicare specialist, bring in any discipline that we need to help in the roles that are changing for the couple, for the family, for the ill or disabled individual, we try to do that. Yeah,
0: that's wonderful. Just wonderful. Is there any particular disease uh, or diseases that are most onerous when, it, you know, that, that caregivers just tend to find that they just have to throw up their arms and say, I just have to find my own life. I've got, to, I've got to get back to a life for myself and hopefully find something relatively good for my care partner. Are there diseases that pop up more often?
1: I think that Alzheimer's, dementia-type illnesses put an incredible strain on families. It's so hard, it's so insidious, it's so slow, it's so progressive, and it's just hard to deal with. It's, it's rare that both people in a couple are on the same page and relate in the same way to the person who has the illness. The decision to take away the car, the decision to use assisted living rather than try to keep them in the home, the safety issues that arise, it, it's a hard thing to balance, especially yes. if it goes on for years and years. And the child with autism, you know, the child who's not going to get better, the, the child who's wheelchair-bound, and it, it just puts an incredible strain. You find. One parent is often more able to roll up their sleeves, recognize the work that needs to be done and move forward, and often the other is in denial or it's not that bad or they isolate or they go outside the marriage. Yeah. Because they can't handle it. They can't face the pain. Well, in
0: both those situations, really, you said it, neither one gets better. Right. And I think we as people, as human beings, we, we want... We want the thing to get better. And and for caregivers, having hope for something better is something that keeps a lot of caregivers going. And when they realize that that's not going to happen, it's like you say, it's just one of life's huge tragedies. Yeah. Are, is there a question that I have not asked you? before we um, end our show today is there something that I've not followed up on or perhaps an example that you would like to share um, with our audience today
1: following up on the an example of a situation where a child's circumstances were so devastating I had a client not too long ago whose child was a brittle diabetic where, She's getting up throughout the night every two hours to test this child to make sure what her levels and her numbers are. The husband literally moved to the other side of the country, could not face it, could not handle it, could not deal with it. And you see that at times. And and the decision to divorce ended up being a better choice for them both. He could be the dad when he could be the dad, and she was the mom doing the heavy lifting on the rest of it, and they were able to reach an accord. So life after divorce can get better depending on the circumstances. It may not happen immediately, but if it's the right decision for the family, it ultimately is going to be the right decision for the individuals, too. It may just take a little while to get there.
0: That's an amazing story. And something we shouldn't forget, uh, that, yes, we all want to stay with our spouses. Uh, Yes, divorce is a tough thing. It should be a last option. But, yes, there can be success in the end after a divorce. And that's something I think we should all hold close and remember as well. Absolutely. Amen. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Wendy. Uh, The good news, folks is that Wendy will be back again with us next month on Caregivers Speak. And uh, next month, our topic is going to be how can caregivers rebuild their lives after a divorce? Um, you know, assuming that people decide that this is what they're going to do, um, how can they do that? Oh, one thing I meant to ask you, um, Do I'm sure people say to you, well, what do you think after you have heard their whole story and you've listed everything in a blackboard, and do they say, well, now, what do you think, Wendy Aiken, about this? Now, is this something that professionally you do or something that you don't do for
1: clients? As an attorney, you represent one side or the other. You can't represent both okay. sides. Okay. So you're giving advice and counsel to your own client. But probably in a collaborative case more than any other situation, you sort of put the problem in the middle of the table, and then you problem solve around that. Does that end up benefiting both sides? Do you narrow the focus to options that in your experience will work? If it works, yes, you do.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much. We have you to look forward again to next month. Thank you for being our guest today. Thanks to all of you out there listening and um, reminding you that the archive will be on our two websites, microgivingcoach.com and ecarediary.com. Wendy, I want you
1: to tell our listeners how to get in touch with you. You call our front desk and ask to speak to Danya, our receptionist extraordinaire. Our number is 407-644-4040. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Oh, we loved it. And thanks to everybody out there, and we'll see you next month on the radio. Take care. Bye.